0: REVOLT BLACK NEWS, PRESENTED BY STATE FARM. TONIGHT ON REVOLT BLACK NEWS, THE PEOPLE'S CASE AGAINST ROBERT Sylvester KELLY. IT ENTERS ITS FOURTH WEEK OF TESTIMONY, AND THE PROSECUTION PULLS NO PUNCHES. SO HOW EXACTLY ARE THE FEDS STRATEGIZING FOR A CONVICTION ON ALL OF THESE CHARGES? And what did they learn from the 2008 R. Kelly acquittal? Then we turn our eye to the storm as Hurricane Ida's death toll continues to grow. And so does the contrast in the response looking back at Hurricane Katrina. Plus an update on Haiti and why they are so susceptible to disaster and is there a path to restoration and political reform? And let the games begin. But will college football become the super spreader that nobody's rooting for? Also, the culture takes over the Met Gala red carpet while Nicki Minaj opts out and Joy Ann Reed speaks out. We've got all this and more tonight on Revolt Black News. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. Now, we're going to begin with the federal trial of Robert Sylvester Kelly, better known, of course, as R. Kelly. Now, while the jury has heard multiple accounts of extremely graphic testimony all week, we're going to focus on the prosecution's very carefully crafted strategy and whether or not it will potentially put R. Kelly behind bars for decades.
1: We're here to support Robert. Um, You know, with all the charges that he has stacked up on him, they have been really railroaded him in a lot of areas so we're here for the support and to make sure that they that he gets the due
0: process in a brooklyn federal courtroom r kelly faces multiple charges stemming from cases in new york illinois and minnesota alleging kidnapping sexual exploitation of children bribery and forced labor which the r&b singer has all pleaded not guilty to all accounts Now, back in 2008 Kelly was indicted on 13 counts of child pornography and was acquitted of all of them. But why? The defense at the time argued that the underage girl's identity was not conclusive in the 27-minute sex tape. Multiple jurors said that the absence of the alleged victim's testimony also hurt the prosecution's case.
2: Almost 15 years ago, it didn't work out. You're very confident today is a different day this year?
0: I'm confident it will be a fair trial in this case in court. And when the verdict came? some celebrated <laughs> while others were outraged and utterly disgusted
3: you can sign the petition demanding that he is dropped as
4: an artist and is no longer able to make yeah, music yeah. His yeah.
0: so now the prosecution looks to improve their chances with testimony from multiple victims hoping to leave no doubt and to raise the bar higher, they're trying to catch R. Kelly on what's called the Mann Act, otherwise known as the White Slave Traffic Act. Now, it makes transporting any woman or girl for the purposes of prostitution, debauchery, or for any immoral purpose, a felony. And for a deeper dive into the history, it finds that this law, as the legal blow that actually took down the first black heavyweight champion of the world, Jack Johnson, back in 1912. So as the prosecution continues to take some power-packed swings, some are asking, are these tactics the people's only choice, considering previous acquittals and alleged settlements? But most importantly, will these punches land a conviction this time?
5: We will have to take the time to make sure that he um, understands, comprehends everything that's going on. He has information that only he can give us, and um, we need to find the time and make the time to to get that from him.
0: All right, looking now more into the prosecutorial strategy, we're going to bring in a former prosecutor who's currently a criminal defense attorney and senior trial counsel at Joey Jackson Law, Ms. Bernanotta Villanona. Also with us is an entertainment attorney and partner at Mosley & Associates, Mr. Walter Mosley. Thank you both for joining the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, Walter, I'm going to start with you. We're seeing the prosecution strategy uh, that's playing out right now in the Brooklyn courthouse, not far from where I am taping. Uh, Do you think so far they're having an effective strategy?
6: Well, anytime you have the uh, U.S. attorneys with their regal charges, it's going to be effective. That's a really big gun to bring out. I don't don't know that I've seen it necessarily with uh, entertainers, but essentially they're painting uh, R. Kelly as um, more or less a godfather, and the people that work for him are carrying out his criminal enterprises of moving um, young women back and forth across state lines. Which I think there was almost 14 other underlying charges of kidnapping, other things that uh, substantiate that, um, substantiate his criminal enterprise. Also by doing RICO, they're able to stretch it out. We're hearing about Leah. We're hearing about um, the cases in Florida. We're hearing about basically his whole career. Of doing these activities and they wouldn't be able to do that without this powerful tool so i think they're very effective and i think they're doing a great job
0: bernardo we're hearing about uh, walter talk about rico can you break down exactly kind of what that mechanism is and how it's effective as a legal tool and how it's different than what we normally see in most criminal cases
2: so because r kelly is being prosecuted in federal court what the federal is able to do the prosecutors. There is that they're able to charge R. Kelly under a RICO statute. So RICO is racketeering, influence, corrupt organizations. You normally would not see this type of case charged under RICO. You usually see it with mob bosses. You see it. You see it with mafias, but you wouldn't see it with an R&B singer such as R. Kelly. So what does RICO allow the prosecution to do? The RICO allows the prosecution, you can see that the case is taking place here in Brooklyn. However, it allows the prosecution to bring in cases from back in the 1990s and from jurisdictions that don't have anything to do with New York. So essentially, what this charge is allowing the prosecution to do is stack on the amount of victims and witnesses that normally, because of the statute of limitations, as well as the jurisdiction, wouldn't normally be able to testify inside of a state court. Aside from that, R. Kelly is also charged with, with eight counts of the Man Act. So what is the Man Act? Technically, what R. Kelly is being charged with is bringing these women along state lines in order to engage in some kind of either prostitution, some debauchery, or some kind of immoral activity. And in this case, it's having sex.
0: Thank you for that clarification. Walter, I want to ask you back. Uh, uh, we all remember the 2008... 2008- uh, charges and ultimate acquittal of Robert Kelly as it related to pornography charges back in 08. What do you see in this current federal prosecution that you think uh, shows that they've learned anything if all from that 2008 acquittal?
6: Well, now they have witnesses. Before, uh, witnesses and the victim is testi- testifying. So the previous cases, uh, for whatever reason, maybe they were the, the age or maybe some people are saying there was some intimidation by R. Kelly. Uh, but the actual victims weren't be were able to testify in order to grab him. Now they're just one after the other, as 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 counsel was saying, are coming back to back, saying that this man committed these crimes. Um, the other piece about Rico that says used for gangs and for mafia and it's about, it's about affiliation. So you know the, the prosecutor gets to tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, listen, if you don't testify against. Uh, the big boss against R. Kelly, you know, we're going to take you in. So all of a sudden now you have a string of people that may have not been willing to testify in the previous case, but now are lining up to testify in exchange for um, the government not coming after them.
0: Bernarda, uh, we heard a little bit of Walter uh, give us his take. What do you think the defense will go from here based off of what they've seen from this prosecution so far?
2: So in regards of where the defense will go, you know, let's just be clear, the defense has no burden to put any evidence up in front of the jury. In fact, you know, there's no burden for R. Kelly to testify or for them to call any witnesses. In fact, sometimes the judge even says that the defense attorney can sit down and not say one word, the burden is on the prosecutor to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. However, in this case, there has been cross-examination lengthy cross-examination of all these witnesses that have testified. And in the bulk, what has the defense been able to do? They have been trying to cut down at the credibility, the believability of these witnesses. For example, there has been testimony, well, didn't you write a letter or didn't you contact your family member and said that you're not being held here against your will, that you actually love R. Kelly, that you're, that R. Kelly is treating me the right way. And that has been a constant theme in regards to these witnesses these Jane Doe's and John Doe's testifying. So the defense is going with one, breaking down their credibility. Two, that possibly if they do admit to it is that they maybe be a consensual relationship. Is it normal? Is it moral? No, not at all. However, is it criminal?
0: Bernarda Villanona and Walter Mosley, we thank you both so much for your brilliant legal counsel and appreciate you both for coming on the show. Y'all stay with us because up next we've got a lot more Revolt Black News on the way. week in black entertainment headlines, Emmy host Cedric the Entertainer speaks up about the upcoming award show being more accessible and more inclusive. The highly anticipated Ava DuVernay directed Netflix series Colin in black and white releases its first official trailer. Also this year's annual Met Gala took place and the theme was in America a lexicon of fashion. But one of America's favorite rappers, Ms. Nicki Minaj, did not attend due to the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. And last but not least, MTV held its annual VMAs featuring some of today's hottest stars, and there were some not-so-hot moments. Award season is among us, and as actor and comedian Cedric the Entertainer gears up to host the 73rd annual Primetime Emmys, airing this upcoming Sunday on CBS. In a recent interview with the New York Times, Cedric shared that he hopes he will, quote, foster a spirit of inclusivity. Now the Emmys, of course, have come under fire in recent years past for its lack of diversity amongst the nominees. However, in this year's lineup, we see a substantial increase in acting nods to people of color comprising of 44% of the nominations. This compares to 34% in 2020 and only 25% in 2019. It also marks a new season of programming for your viewing pleasure. Leading the charge is athlete and activist Colin Kaepernick with his new Ava DuVernay-assisted Netflix series titled Colin in Black and White. The six-episode miniseries is set to premiere on the streaming network on October 29th, but luckily for you, here's a sneak peek.
7: Life puts us on a path, sometimes
0: narrow, sometimes windy, but always ours. And lastly, the Met Gala has finally returned in full fashion force after a year-long delay due to the COVID-19 global pandemic. Entertainment's leading ladies and gents took to the infamous carpeted steps of the New York City's Metropolitan Museum of Art to pay homage to American fashion. As arguably one of the most sought after invitations in the industry, the people of the culture, of course, made black excellent scene and had a seat at the table. Even if it costs $30,000 a pop, Now, notably, seven-time Formula One world champion Lewis Hamilton opted to share his time in the flashing lights with three emerging black designers stating, quote, Young designers don't have the same opportunities, and that's really why I wanted to support young and upcoming talent. Now, noticeably missing from this year's lineup was Nicki Minaj, who took to Twitter with this explanation for her absence. She says, quote, they want you to get vaccinated for the Met. If I get vaccinated, it won't be for the Met. It'll be once I feel I've done enough research. I'm working on that now. In the meantime, my loves, be safe. Minaj went on to share that her cousin had experienced negative effects from the vaccine, which influenced her to remain unvaccinated. MSNBC host, Joanne Reed, condemned Nicki Minaj with this response. You have a platform, sister, that is 22 million followers. For you to use your platform
3: to put people in the position of dying from a disease they don't have to die from, I'm so sad that you did that.
0: Joining the dialogue was the director of the CDC, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who offered these comments, debunking Minaj's claim that the vaccines cause serious side effects to reproductive organs.
6: There's no evidence that it happens, nor is there any mechanistic reason to imagine that it would
0: happen. Listen, there's a lot here to unpack, so let's go ahead and get into it. Revolt Black News fam, Rodney Rakai, is gonna jump right in and get into it. Welcome to the show, Rodney.
8: Ebony, thank you, family, I always appreciate you. Listen, joining me this week are media personalities, Don Juan and influencer Sarah Love Style, Black people. So Nicki Minaj and MSNBC host Joy Ann Reed had some friction about vaccine hesitancy. Now, whether you're pro or anti-vax, is there room, in your opinion, for nuance anymore between people with opposing views, be it about something as serious as the vaccine or as simple as a favorite TV show?
9: When you have 200, or, or she have 153, 157 million followers on Instagram, she's got 22 million followers on Twitter, there is a level of responsibility for better or for worse that you have with 200 characters on Twitter and her power is so strong that the fact that Joy had to come out and talk about it and the fact that even Dr. Fauci had to come out and, you know, refute some of the statements that she made. That is how powerful social media is and that's how powerful her her voice is criticism just comes with it. It's just the nature of the beast.
8: I I have really appreciated her being criticized though. Sometimes in celebrity culture, we just think that they are above criticism. So I actually was proud that our government officials handled it the way that they did. Don, what are your thoughts? So
7: I think that with this conversation, it comes this, what responsibility do celebrities have? Am I going to Nicki Minaj to get information about if I should be vaccinated or the effects of vaccination? Then that might be something I need to like seek counsel on. You know, like that, I don't think I'm going for her 200 characters to tell me if I should do something in my life. Again, I'm all about the choice of an individual to be vaccinated or not be vaccinated. But I do think that um, we should definitely look at it as the 200 characters that it is. And, you know, like, just go with that.
8: But Sarah, we do rely heavily upon celebrities to help us win elections, right, to to raise money. So we can't pick and choose really where we allow them to have such influence. So is there a fine line? What is the balance that we should be expecting between relying on them to help us accomplish some of our uh, societal goals and just like shutting the hell up about things that they don't know anything about?
9: there is power and responsibility with influence that is the reality of the world that we live in when aoc wore that dress even um, at the met gala and she says tax the rich when um you are seeing celebrities say vote for so and so or there is absolute power and it can be dangerous but i think when you're taking information from 200 characters it's a very difficult thing that we should be very careful with
8: okay i'm just going gonna to leave it at that but i'm gonna say one last thing we had an influencer as our president. So those 200 characters go a mighty long way these days. All right, let's move along. So Drake and Kanye have continued their decade-long pillow fight, both of them releasing their latest albums just days apart. Now, Kanye's 10th studio album, Donda, was overtaken by Drake's certified lover boy, which took up nine of 10 Billboard top 10 spots in its debut week, which is a crazy stat. I'm sure you both listen. so let me get your official album reviews a week in.
7: Um, so a weekend I'm gonna ride with Drake and certified lover boy. I'm gonna be honest. Um, I am a Kanye fan from the beginning of time. You know, I'm not gonna lie. I saw Kanye at North Carolina, A and T homecoming years ago. I keep uh, I keep yeah. This album to me, you know, I will say was underwhelming. Um, and certified lover boy. I think it definitely had had more that I could ride ride, you know, like listen to groove with. So even though they came out, you know, a few weeks apart. I, I, I'm definitely gonna ride with Drake and Certified Lover Boy on this one.
9: If I can skip the album, it's really not that good. If I can skip through songs with Certified Lover Boy, I'm here for it. It gets me in my feelings. If I want to cry, if we want to feel sexy, if you want to dance, it just has it all. I'm riding with Drake on this one. I don't know
3: if
7: it gives me all of that, but it, it <laughs> gave me, you know, like, like I think it gives you something. But I don't know if it gave me all of that. I wouldn't give, you know, give it that much.
8: So, New York City took center stage of hip hop culture as rap legends Ja Rule and Fat Joe faced off in a versus battle this week. Now, Ja originally wanted to face longtime rival 50 Cent, which would have been dope, but dangerous if you ask me, because we all know 50 Cent does not play fair. He is vicious and vile, especially on Instagram. Were either of you able to catch the verses?
7: I did catch the verses. I'm always here for, I hate to say this, the collaborations that come out with you when you have verses with, uh, you know, rap artists. I think that it was definitely one that, you know, it's a little debate on who won still to some people. It depends
8: on- who?
9: In my personal opinion, I thought Ja won. I'm just saying. All right,
8: so also, During the versus last night, Atlanta producer and head of so-so death records, Jermaine Dupree, called out Revolt Chairman Sean Love Combs to a versus. Now, Diddy graciously responded, letting everyone know that only Dr. Dre can handle him in a versus battle. And he did it in a way that he was like, yo, I appreciate you, JD, but like, come on, son. You know it's not no, You can't do nothing with me. What do y'all think, though? Can Jermaine Dupree hold his own against Puff Daddy Mr. Love, Mr. Combs, what do y'all think?
7: I think it's people sometimes underestimate, you know, I live in Atlanta. Sometimes people underestimate Atlanta. I think it would be a really, very much musical, entertaining verses, but people have to remember like Jermaine Dupri had the song of the decade with Mariah Carey, We Belong Together. That is no, like that's a fact.
8: I, I just think a lot of JD records that are really big are kind of like JV. And I feel like when you, when you have- of about- Bird. Mariah Carey,
7: we belong together. Oh, yeah,
8: you talking? OK, so one off.
7: If it happens, we're going to be on a group text, and we're going to go Let's for one to pick the song.
10: Uh,
8: Let's bet go. that. Don Juan and Sarah, thank you for your opinions. Even though I didn't really agree with most of Don's, it's all good. Thank you for the good energy, my brothers. Everybody brother. doesn't
7: like great things.
8: Oh, here we <laughs> The bright color palette that we have on display here. Listen, up next, Ebony goes inside the eye of the storm to examine Hurricane Ida's long-lasting effects. Vote Black News right back.
0: since Category 4 Hurricane Ida wreaked havoc, dark devastation on the entire East Coast. The tropical storm caused massive flooding in New York and New Jersey, and down in Louisiana, over 114 people have been reported dead and thousands remain without power. We're gonna take a closer look at the aftermath with Courtney Williams. She's a reporter in Lafayette, Louisiana. Thanks so much for joining us, Courtney.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Indeed. My mother Gloria actually lives out in New Orleans East and she just got power uh, rather recently, days ago, but there are thousands of Louisiana residents that still don't have any power. Courtney, how are the residents surviving right now and what are the ongoing efforts like on the ground?
1: I have to say that it's an, it's going to be an ongoing thing for a while. Um, I'm also from New Orleans, Louisiana, born and raised, and uh, we, re- we recently just went down to home of Louisiana where people are literally still living in their cars because their houses are gone. They don't have a home to go back to, and um, a lot of these people are having to either return to work or college. but you know, they don't have daycares to send their kids to, they don't have schools. So, you know, they're wondering, am I gonna have to sit out for a semester? So um, it's pretty bad right now still.
0: Yeah, Courtney, can you describe to us uh, and really from your expertise, try to evaluate what you think the search, rescue and recovery efforts are looking like on the ground right now? What's happening day to day for the citizens of Louisiana?
1: I have to say day to day, I would say the number one uh, insecurity people are having right now is food insecurity. Um, people are having a hard time finding food because, um, you know, food stamps in FEMA, they're still, you know, having those issues trying to get that out. Um, one thing we saw with Hurricane Katrina a lot was um, people were, you know, there was a lot of fraud and scams going on with FEMA. So FEMA is, you know, taking a little bit longer this time around to send out funds. And I know the funds that they are sending out is about, you know, maybe like $500. And if you're a family of five, 500, you know, can only get you so far. So I would say they're doing everything that they possibly can do. But as we all know, you know, you can give you can give and give and it still, you know, probably won't be enough, especially if you lost a house.
0: One thing I do remember also from Katrina, cause I was actually attending law school in New Orleans during the storm back uh, so many years ago, grocery stores had limited hours. Uh, what are the grocery store conditions like right now? Are they open? Are they fully functioning?
1: Well, I can say specifically for New Orleans, since my family is still there right now, my mom, my dad, grandmother, my entire family, they will go to the grocery store, you know, at seven, eight o'clock in the morning. And there's a line outside. There's a line outside. They're only letting so many people in. And then once you get in, you notice that they don't have meat. They don't have chicken they don't have you know drinks they don't have water they don't even have bread you know definitely if anyone wants to reach out to help out i feel like the best way to do it is through second harvest food bank
0: Great. We're going to definitely get some more of those resources to our viewers in a second, Courtney. But speaking of the food insecurity, I'll talk about the federal administration's efforts. The Biden administration has said that they've deployed 3,600 FEMA employees so far to Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas. And uh, supposedly they had 3.4 million meals. Um, I'd love to know what you're seeing, Courtney, by way of that uh, being accurate and, and what the coordination efforts look like on the ground.
1: I have to say that that is definitely accurate. Um, I just spoke with a FEMA representative actually early this morning and talking a little bit about you know what are they doing in places like Homa or Grand Isle that they're saying you know is basically inhabitable. People can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. Um, so I will say that FEMA has done an amazing job. Uh, groups like Second Harvest Food Bank um, giving out meals every single day. Um, I I have to you know give kudos to them because they're really doing an excellent job and from you know. Being, I think I was about five years old when Hurricane Katrina hit, um, seeing everything that they did then and then seeing what they're doing now, I would have to say that they're doing an excellent job. And especially, you know, being able to see it myself, you know, them giving out meals constantly all day, working overtime and not being paid to work that overtime, but making sure that they're feeding families, that's what they're putting first. They don't care about a paycheck. They just wanna make sure that families are fed and that no one goes hungry.
0: Courtney, before we let you go, our viewers that want to help, they want to be resourceful here. Uh, What resources and organizations can you recommend? I know you mentioned one before.
1: I would highly recommend um, two. One being Second Harvest Food Bank. Second Harvest Food Bank is known for having a quick disaster response. The second resource group that I would highly recommend is the Cajun Navy. Cajun Navy has been known for anytime there's a disaster, anytime anything happens or goes on, they pick up everything they have and they head to wherever they need to go. I know recently they went to LaPlace, they went to Homer, they went to Grand Isle, and I'm talking about areas that are inhabitable. You know, people don't have anything to go back to. All they have is their car, if that. So they pick up everything that they have immediately and they head on out there. And these are people who are doing this for free. These are people who are volunteering. So absolutely, if you wanna help out those people, I highly recommend Second Harvest Food Bank and also Cajun AV. All
0: right, Courtney Williams, dear, thank you so much for that update. And we hope you join us again soon. All right, now from one wellness check to another, We're now moving to Haiti, where Haitians are still recovering from the 7.2 magnitude earthquake that rocked the Caribbean country. Joining me now for an update is the founder of La Union Suite, Ms. Wanda Tima. Also with us is Franj Bouget. He is an Atlanta businessman and treasurer of the United Front of the Haitian diaspora. Welcome you both to the show. Thank you.
10: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely, we're happy to have you. First and foremost, as far as the tens of thousands of Haitians with injuries, uh, they are uh, hopefully getting the medical attention they need, but Wanda, I have to ask, are they? How has the medical response been on the ground?
10: They definitely are getting medical attention right now. So pretty much since the week after the earthquake happened, there are a lot of people that are on the ground, Haitian organizations and also organizations that, that was already positioned in the South make sure that happens i think one of the things that i also wanted to um you know kind of make clear is a lot of we're hearing a lot of people saying you know it's tens of tens of thousands of people you know that are affected right now even deaths and we just want to make sure like people understand that this is not the 2010 earthquake and this did not happen in the capital this happened in the south so the numbers are definitely different you had about 1400 people um, that unfortunately passed. And then the numbers are low as far as the people that needs help, but they are getting help.
0: Indeed, Franz, I wanna ask you, uh, as Americans looking at this from the outside, of course, it does, our hearts go out to our Haitian brothers and sisters. It seems Haiti is so vulnerable uh, and susceptible to these types of compounded disasters. Uh, Franz, from your experience, what do you think is the reason here? Is it a lack of infrastructure? Is it the politics? Uh, is it some combination of things?
8: We have a problem of, a serious problem of infrastructure, but luckily the area that was hit this time, the what we call the Grand Sud, or the South Peninsula, is less uh, populated than the West, where the capital of Prince is. So we didn't have as many uh, human casualties as before. It was somewhat difficult to get to some of the areas that people needed help, but, um, we, are, I would say we are in the road of recovery right now.
0: All right, Wanda, France, thank you both so much for that incredible update. That's really gonna help people understand how to best help the Haitian people. We appreciate you. All right, y'all stay with us though, cause we've got much more of all black news after this.
8: Back to Revolt Black News. Listen, as college football returns and stadiums across the country are packed to capacity, we're getting ready to discuss the concerns and controversies created by these sold-out crowds with our home team of experts and insiders. Joining us today are sports journalist Ashley Nicole and cardiologist Dr. Bernard Ashby. Uh, My first question is for you, Dr. Ashby. You know, we see some sports returning to full capacity. You know, do we anticipate college sporting events becoming unsafe, or, or the first of a series of super spreader events?
5: Outdoor spread of the coronavirus is actually negligible in most circumstances. However, the Delta variant has changed that equation a bit because the viral load, meaning the amount of virus that you produce, is much higher uh, than the previous variants. And so your likelihood of catching it if someone... Yes, sir, yes, sir. It's your boy, Spitty, here from DGB, aka Dirty Glove Bastards, Off the Porch Podcast. Now, if you're a fan of artist interviews then make sure to check out and subscribe to Off The Porch, a show that interviews everybody from the dopest up-and-coming artists, your favorite OGs and legends, street comedians, directors, and other influential people from the culture. And it's brought to you exclusively by Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip-hop, powered by creators. It's effective, it is much higher. With that said, the likelihood that packed stadiums will lead to super spreader events are unlikely. You're more likely to spread it to folks in your immediate vicinity, but not the, you know, large portion of people in your section. The most likely uh, vector or, or way of people getting the virus is probably in the indoor setting. So at the concession stands, in the in the boxes, at the parties uh, surrounding the events, uh, that's where uh, the spreader, super spreader events, were, are more likely to occur. So in general, if you're outside or if you're indoors and the windows are open, uh, the likelihood of mass infection is uh, much lower. Uh,
8: A new vaccine mandate for companies with 100 plus employees would now requires them to vaccinate or test regularly. Uh, What kind of effect do you anticipate this might have on events in larger settings like college games? And do you think it could have any impact on fans maybe choosing to be vaccinated?
4: At the end of the day, If you don't wanna get vaccinated, there's really nothing that anybody can tell you if you've been on social media that's going to change your mind. What it is going to do though, sometimes when things are taken from you that you wanna do, right? So with basketball games, football games, anything that brings you joy and leisure requires you to have a certain vaccination status. Like in my home state of New York, you need to show your vaccination status to enter any facility. Now, if you don't mind never going outside again, sure, you probably don't care, but if you wanna go ahead and get back into the normal seas of life that we so desperately want, you're gonna really have no choice but to get vaccinated because everything around you is starting to
10: make it so.
8: Let's move along. Uh, We recently saw an ESPN sideline reporter, Allison Williams resign after the vaccine mandate was announced uh, because of health reasons. Do you foresee this happening more within sports and media companies and do we maybe anticipate there being a loss of, of players as well, Ashley?
4: Absolutely. I mean, she went ahead and foregoed the season because she is trying to get pregnant, I believe, and after consulting her doctors, she made a decision that was best for her and her family and that's completely within her right. But as someone who works in this field, if you want to go ahead and engage with players in locker rooms, at sporting events, at these games, even, you know, bigger events, all Star, Super Bowl, They are requiring you to be vaccinated because not only is it about you and your health, but also the players. You know, let's put into an example. Say you interview Kevin Durant after the game, you're unvaccinated. Kevin Durant is then exposed to coronavirus or the Delta variant. Now he's missing games because now he's in protocol, which then affects the Brooklyn Nets, which then has a whole domino effect. So teams are really not only protecting their players and not only protecting their staff, but they're also protecting the people that those people interact with.
8: Dr. Ashby, piggybacking off of something that, that Ashley just said, do you have a higher uh, transmission rate if you are unvaccinated at, in comparison to somebody who is vaccinated?
5: So it's not even close. Uh, if you're unvaccinated, your chances of spreading the coronavirus, particularly the Delta variant, are much higher than someone who was vaccinated. Now, there's been a lot of media attention uh, paid to the breakthrough cases that we've seen in the vaccinated. And uh, what I would like to say is that that's been overstated, yes, Uh, the the Delta variant does lead to more breakthrough cases because it does produce a much higher viral load. And so by the time your immune system kicks in and produces antibodies, uh, you may experience some symptoms. 88% of the folks who have had the the vaccine did not have any symptoms at all. So really you're, you're just dealing with that 12%. If you do go on to develop the symptoms, you are able to spread the virus once you're symptomatic, but your window of infection is much smaller and your viral load is much lower than someone who's unvaccinated.
8: For entertainers, athletes, and fans who are gonna be in these mass events, what are some precautions that they can take to protect themselves from contracting
5: COVID-19? Things that we've been saying from the get-go, okay? Uh, Avoid indoor spaces, wear your mask when you're indoors, keep your space, and, and basically try to avoid being around random folks, particularly folks who are unvaccinated your likelihood of getting the virus is much higher.
8: Ashley, are you doing anything in particular to prevent yourself from catching COVID-19 as you interact on set and, and on location from arenas?
4: So I'm fully vaccinated. Um, it was something that I did not only for myself. So if I did end up contracting the virus, I knew that I wasn't gonna end up in the hospital. Just play it smart. And I think that's all we can really do. I'm a firm believer that, you know, as long as you put yourself in a situation where, you're playing smart, a lot of the times you'll come out on the winning end and everyone just kind of has to take that advice.
8: Uh, I want to thank both of you. Continue to stay safe and, and uh, progressive and, and all the things that, that we aspire to be in our careers. Uh, and have a great rest of your day. All right. Yes, sir. Thank Bless you. up. Listen, next up, make sure you check out the conversation I had with Grammy winners and founders of the 1500 Sound Academy. Of course, I'm talking about James Fauntleroy and Lorance Dobson about how they are educating the next generation of artists, musicians, and music moguls. Stay tuned to Revolt Black News. Hey, what's going on, man? It's your guy, Rodney Rakai, here with another edition of Revolt Stand Up 4 Series brought to you by State Farm. Now listen, we have covered a lot over the course of our Stand Up 4 series with our esteemed guests. We've talked about everything from black banking to black communities, but today we are talking about another very important topic that is near and dear to my heart. and talking about black education. It is imperative that we are engaged and in tune with organizations dedicated to advancing education in our community, such as the 100 Black Men of America Incorporated. So in collaboration with State Farm, they established the African American History Challenge. That's an education and scholarship program designed to highlight the study of African American history among the youth, while also increasing interest in learning the legacy left by our ancestors. For more information on the annual conference, make sure you visit the link below. Listen, it's important to note that State Farm has been doing the work by supporting the work. Their programs provide today's youth with tools and resources that help them build life skills and realize their dreams. From education grants to their State Farm Education Assist programs at Georgia State University and Arizona State University, respectively, underserved students are receiving an integrated suite of post-secondary pathways, helping them obtain critical skills for their long-term economic security. So look, getting an education is not just about classes and courses, y'all. It's about how to ready yourself for the world and obtain a career. State Farm encourages everyone to check out statefarm.com for more information about their education initiatives below. But listen, right now I am in a very, very sacred space. This is the 1500 Sound Academy. Now that's a black-owned institution in the heart of Inglewood, California that specializes in educational resources for the music community. There are so many dope things that this campus offers. I'm ready to go check it out right now. I know you are too.
11: Let's get to it.
8: Behind the vision of 1500 Sound Academy are two Grammy award-winning artists, First up, we have singer-songwriter James Fauntleroy. Now, he has written for artists like Rihanna and lay vocals on tracks with Kendrick, Drake, and Nipsey, just to name a few. And then we also have Grammy Award-winning producer Laurent Dobson. Now, he has collaborated with artists like Snoop Dogg, Alicia Keys, Roddy Ricch, LMA, and the list goes on and on. And as amazing as their music credits are, which honestly I haven't even scratched the surface of, what they're doing with the 1500 Sound Academy is way more incredible because it's a trailblazing music education institution that strives to produce passionate sound creators through mentors positive mindset and professional development. So for those out there who do not know what the 1500 Sound Academy is, can you give them a little bit of insight?
3: No, I mean, what it is, it's it's literally, it's as many tools as as we could think of to give somebody the best opportunity when they're chasing their dreams. So this is like just getting your full tool belt. You you know from what kind of artist you're into or whatever your dream is that maybe you like to sing or dance, but maybe you're not familiar with television and film sync. That's when you uh, have music on TV or in a movie that makes you money or you don't know about management, touring, all these other things that you can still um, be close to, be in your dream um, and and take advantage of so many more opportunities than people even know are there. So yeah, man,
8: I definitely want to chop it up with you because this space that we sitting in right now, I, I'm fortunate that I had the chance to come here some months ago mm-hmm. and see it even before it was this much built. Um, it's amazing
11: what you guys are doing, bro. Yeah, man, it's just a blessing. I mean, me and my partner, we always just wanted to f- figure out a way, like, what can we do before our life is over, where we can, like, change the world.
8: So one of the first things you told me when I got here was that this space is kind of like Professor Xavier's School of the Gifted.
11: You know, this is like the X-Men School. We want to create a safe place for people that care about details as much as we do. Okay. And, and when you do that, that's when you can shift culture. So we want to create a world of, call them uh, um, cultural coders.
8: So it sounds like education is at the core of, of what you guys do here at the 1500 Sound Academy. How important is it for us to spread education throughout the black community? And for you personally, um, how has education helped you actualize these
3: visions? It's, it's it is the reason. Like um, learning and studying life, studying music, Um, studying as many skills as possible to support um, the ability to communicate my idea. So when we started um, in the game, one of the first people I wrote with, I don't know how or why, one of the first people I wrote with was Teddy Ryan. One day I walked in and he was sitting on a gearbox with a drill, some Gorilla Glue before it was used for hair products, (laughs) and like several different synthesizers in the box. So I walked in the room and I was like, What are you doing? What's happening? Should I be alarmed? Should I leave? (laughs) Um, And he told me he was building a vocorder. You know what I mean? So that just blew my mind that that was even an ability that someone would even want to have. He said, not only can I build this machine, I can use the machine, I can play the piano, I can mix it, I can use every piece of equipment in here. And he said, "Um, the more knowledge you have, the more control you'll have over what you're able to produce, and the more money you'll make. So you have
8: the musicianship, right? And I know that that's the foundation of this space, Mm -hmm. but for people who want to be involved and invested in the music business, but don't necessarily want to play an instrument, don't necessarily want to sing or write, is there a a portion of of this academy that lends itself to those who want to be
11: in the business of music? Yeah, I mean, everybody's not going to be a superstar. (laughs) You can't, (laughs) (laughs) but that's what makes this, facility amazing because we have all these great partnerships to where you can come in and want to be a rapper, but then you'll meet a movie producer, then you'll meet a venture capitalist, you'll meet somebody that that does coding, and you might want to learn tech, JavaScript, uh, HTML, C++, and, you know, it's so many other um, things that you can do that's outside of music that you can find a love for here, and this is like the place where you can Discover your new love. All right, so I can't name everybody who's, who's been through the Academy, but I will throw a couple of names out there. Kendrick Lamar,
8: Nipsey Hussle, God bless the dead, Roddy Rich, who actually he learned how to play some instruments here, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he did. Um, DJ Khaled, right? So a lot of the teachers who come through here are not necessarily teachers by, by trade, but because they're so passionate and because they're so experienced in the field of music. How do you feel having teachers who are so accomplished impacts the students here and how they receive the information they learn at the academy?
3: I think um, in general, especially in in education, that's something like this. Um, We just thought from day one that that's something that would make us different if we could bring in people um, who are currently doing it, like that could give you some real-time um experience about the situation but what we didn't realize was how enthusiastic and excited people would be so like we've had so many different not only celebrities but every level executive um you know all types of different relevant industries so i think that having someone come in that can really not only tell you a little bit of their life um, sometimes a lot of their lives we, we've heard from some people yeah. um, but give you just extra things that, that a practitioner knows that you might not be able to um, pass through the curriculum
8: alone. Is there anything else that you want to say about the academy, um, what you guys plan on doing in the near future? Uh, yourself, anything you want to, you want to plug? anything we can just highlight?
3: One thing that I want everybody to know is really how valuable um, education and information. Can be to your dreams. Um, the more you learn, like Teddy Riley taught yeah. me, the more you learn, the more power and more control you'll ha- have over what you're able to produce, and the more money you'll make, the more successful you'll be, the, the more you'll be able to express um, what's inside, and that's really what people want. We want you to get some money, but what you really want is to be happy. You know what I mean? Sure. So. That's what we're trying to help people is to find the happiness that, they're, that we're all looking for. Finding the
8: happiness. What a great way to conclude a conversation. Yes.
3: Namaste.
0: All right, Rodney, thank you so much. We hope that y'all have all enjoyed tonight's show. For Revolt Black News, I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams.
9: everybody Everybody.
4: i'm your host dr shonda and And chanel and we're
9: here from the
4: The double Double dose Dose podcast Podcast. we are one set of twins with two different perspectives we both have faced many challenges in career life and relationships and we are transparent about how we've relied on our faith to overcome them if you want to hear us discuss current events pop culture and relationships and everything else in between tune in to the double Double dose podcast Podcast. and it's brought to you exclusively by the revolt podcast network angered and hip-hop powered by by creators